rough roads. There was times we had rough roads, but we survived. And that's what counts, is survival. Welcome back. My name's Hal. And this is Matt. And you're listening to the podcast, A Foreigner at Home. This is episode two. I think just to start off, we wanted to thank you for those of you who listened to the first episode, uh, for your comments and for the good discussion that we've gotten online and... and uh, Our mom. Our mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been exciting to get this project out of our heads and out into the world. So we're excited to do that again with this episode. For those of you joining us for the first time, if you want details on the backstory and the why behind this work, listen to episode one first. As a refresher, we'll lay out some of the framing here. A Foreigner at Home is the result of Amtrak trips my brother and I took around the country in the summer of 2016. You have to imagine this is just after the RNC convention and before Trump's election. We did this because as individuals living in blue democratic America, we found the rise of Trump startling. It revealed a deep divide in American society, the depth of which we just hadn't been paying attention to. We felt an unfamiliarity with that which should be most familiar and the discomforting sense that we were foreigners in our own home. But above all other emotions rose a desire to understand. We weren't ready to write off 50% of our fellow Americans. During this trip, we recorded some of our conversations and this audio series is about those individuals who we met. Each episode is about one person, both as an individual and as an American. We're sharing these conversations with you because we want to put a spotlight on the skill of listening. It's a skill that's necessary for a healthy democracy, and we realize that we have to practice the skill ourselves if we want to see more of it in the world. We're also sharing these conversations because they made us hopeful, and we want to share some of that hope with you. We'll jump into this conversation, but before we get started, in case you haven't heeded our advice and gone back to the first episode... We'll do it again. As you listen to these episodes, we would like you to note that we won't be fact-checking anybody. Um, we don't spend time doing that because fact-checking really isn't necessary for comprehending the reality of a person. We're trying to understand people who are different than us. And that means looking for understanding instead of facts. In a sense, these people are facts in their own right. These individuals let us record their points of view and broadcast it to people that they don't know. So imagine you were in that position and try and have the same response that you would hope other people would have if they were listening to you. This is A Foreigner at Home. Thanks for joining us for another conversation. Enjoy. <laughs> When the bus suddenly stopped and I had to get off, I felt pretty good. Bert and I had talked for two hours and I thought we'd exhausted a few topics. Across the aisle, we shook hands, I wished her luck, and I hopped off. Now, however, months later, I wish I had her number because I have so many more questions. My new questions are the result of listening to this interview over and over again, but also of talking to many other folks that had Bert's same concerns. I met several single mothers on this trip and other people who complained about the monthly cost of Obamacare or about being $2 away from welfare eligibility. 
Like a botanist who can see the depth of beauty in a rose that a layman can't see, the more I practice listening, the more I know what I don't know, and the more capable I am of asking insightful questions. What's more, my curiosity grows. With every piece of knowledge, the rose gets more interesting. And I think that's why, if I were on a bus with Bert right now, and it stopped, I wouldn't get off. Before we get started, I want to ask you to take a second and consider a question. What issues do you vote on? What issues were important to you this election? And what issues have been important to you in previous elections? After this conversation with Bert, an undecided voter who I met on a bus in Oklahoma, I made a list. As you listen to this episode, consider how the policies you vote on are similar or different to the policies that Bert thinks are important. This is A Foreigner at Home. You work in the new 250 Hutchinson 330, McPherson 4, Salina at 445, and we're going to be laid all the way. <laughs> passenger that's going to Hayes, I don't know if I can hold that Denver no, bus or not. The bus window cycles through patches of oil rigs, cows, and windmills. Bert is sitting next to me. She's tall, slim, and has shoulder-length auburn hair with wisps of gray. She prefers herbal medicine over prescription, participates in local politics, and rides the bus around her hometown in Colorado. She's on her way to visit her son and his family, including her great-grandson. I was a bit caught off guard when she told me she was a great-grandma. Yeah, your great grandson? Yeah, he's my great grandson. Oh man, yeah. you're a great grandma? I was a great grandma. <laughs> I love it though. But he's a happy kid. Oh, yeah. he is such a happy kid. No matter what, he could be sicker than sick, but he's always got a smile on his face. Yeah. At first, I thought maybe this herbal medicine is really paying off. But no. The truth is that Bert is a very young great grandma. She had her first child at 16, and in the words of another single mom I met on this trip, she was a baby raising babies. Well, like my kids said, I grew up with my mom. (laughs) My kids used to tell their friends, I grew up with my mom because I was so young. So I tell people, yeah, I grew up with my kids because we were all, you know, because I was young and they, you know. In her junior year, Bert and her child's father had to leave school and start work right away. She began motherhood working at McDonald's while attending a local college in order to earn her GED. Yeah, I quit, but I did get my GED. You got your GED. I did. I went through the college to get my GED, and I passed with flying colors. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was something that I determined to do, was to get my GED, and I did. Bert had three children before splitting up with their father. For a couple decades, her focus would be her children, doing whatever was required to make sure that they were supported and successful. Bert had to get creative in order to give her kids the full life she wanted for them. She told me a story about how during Christmas, she realized she needed extra money for presents, and so she came up with a plan for earning extra cash during the holidays. During the holidays, I used to advertise, uh, you don't have time to wrap your Christmas presents, I can do it for you. I would just earn some extra money for my kids, presents for my kids, you know, for Christmas. And I did pretty good at that, but I would do at the end of after Christmas, you know how everything, a lot of things go 50% off or even 75% or whatever. I would go and I would buy everything that I possibly could, bows, scotch tape, uh, anything that 
I can get. What I would do is I would cut off little pieces and make a book out of it and show it to people. This is what I would have. Bert did her best to give her kids all the gifts they deserved, including important life skills she learned from her difficult experiences. One of the lessons she emphasized to me was about teaching her kids the value of money. But stop and think about it. how long did it take you to, to, to work that out, those hours, you know, so forth like that, to buy what you want to buy. Is yeah. it worth, you worked 15 hours to buy something, was it worth the 15 hours that you worked to buy this jacket or these shoes or whatever, you know, yeah. that type of thing. The day after I met Bert, I heard a very similar monetary lesson from another single mother. This mom told me about how when she was raising her child, she used the envelope system. The envelope system is when you get your paycheck and you get it all in cash. The cash then goes into envelopes. This is for rent, this is for food, this is for the radiator. If her child wanted something, she'd ask her, what envelope do we take it out of? But you know, you gotta do what you have to do to survive. You know, when you've got kids, you gotta do what you have to do. Yeah. You know, that's my opinion. You gotta do what has to be done. Yeah. You know, to keep a roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their backs keeping a roof over her family's head, food on their table, and clothes on their back meant being resourceful about gathering income. She worked at several national food and retail chains, did odd jobs like house cleaning and maintenance, and also benefited from government welfare programs. Here she is telling me about her work for the government program LEAP, an acronym for Low Income Energy Assistance Program. They had different programs through the welfare system that you can work you, it was just like a regular job, basically, because you were getting paid once a month. So it's like going to work, and it's giving you the education on, on you know, receptionists or what, you know, uh, filing, computers, and so, so forth like that. Bert's efforts paid off, and all three of her kids would finish high school and go on to get the college degrees that their parents never got. When her children went to college, however, they did not leave their upbringing behind. All three would uniformly decide to study the same thing. They all went for socials to become social workers. Bert's three kids all got their associate's degrees in social work. I thought this consistency was surprising. I have a brother and a sister, and the three of us have very different degrees. But Bert wasn't surprised at all. She said it made a lot of sense. That's something because of the, the circumstances at home. Just something and then seeing it in the kids and... Uh, through school and, the, you know, because we lived in an apartment, so it was an apartment living is what we lived in. So they saw, you know, the different aspects of, of, of family life. So that's what really got them interested in it is because of that, wanting to help the kids and so forth like this. Today, Bird's kids are all financially self-sufficient and live in community-oriented towns around the middle of America. Bird is currently on a bus traveling to meet up with some of them right now. Seeing her travel the country to meet up with her children made me happy. She's worked hard and built a strong, well-adjusted, and growing family. While that's true, there's also another truth, and that's that Bert is still struggling. She currently works at a low-paying job in a 99-cent store, and she needs all the money she can get even though her kids are out on their own. I struggle more now as a single person than I did when I had my kids, when I was raising my kids. Why? Because the money's not, I'm, I'm making the same amount of money I was making 20 years ago. I don't think that's fair. You know, I don't think that's right. I struggle more now than I did when I was raising my own kids. Like myself, I've been at my job for seven years, and I'm still getting paid the same amount for their new hires, which I don't think is fair, you know. 
I asked Bird if she has any guesses about why she is struggling so much today, and she has two answers, the economy and employers. Herein lies one reason for a potential Trump vote, the economy. And you know, and years ago I used to say, we need somebody like Trump to come in here that is a business. Years ago I did. Friends would get together and we'd talk about different things. And I remember mentioning that one time. We need to get somebody that really knows what, bi what business is, is, you know, <laughs> and maybe things will be different. Well, <laughs> lo and behold, here he is. As I start to talk to Bird about politics, the conversation turns to our current president. She is beyond angry with Obama. Her tone towards him is serious, quiet, and perhaps best described as hopeless. But I honestly thought being a black man, knowing what it was all about, that he would change things in our world. Mm -hmm. Hey, it just, it's sad. I honestly thought I he would do something. That was the only reason I voted for him, because he was a black man. I figured, hey, let's give this guy a chance. You know, the first four years weren't too bad, but these last four, I don't believe he's done anything good for us. This is one of those moments I wish I could go back to. What was so different about the first and second four years? I have a couple clues, but I'd love to ask her explicitly. One thing is for sure, Bert's negative tone towards Obama has specific policy decisions attached to it. The topic of most visceral fervor is Obamacare. As soon as we start talking about the details of the current health care plan, Bert's hopeless attitude towards politics turns angry. Just, you know, like this Obamacare, I think that's BS. You know, I have to pay out of my own taxes every year because I don't have medical help. And, it, and the thing is, I don't need it. That, that's the thing. I've never been, I've, you know, I'm, I'm very health conscious. I try to take care of myself as best my, to my ability. I haven't seen a doctor in over 20 years. No reason to, you know, because I know what my body needs. And I think I do a lot of like reflexology, acupressure, and uh, herbs and things like this, vitamins and stuff like, you know, I know what my body's going through. So I have to just kind of go with those steps and so forth and deal with those. But I've been very fortunate. I haven't been really sick. And why do I need insurance? Why do I have to dish out? I asked Bird about how much Obamacare is costing her each year. It depends on your, your yearly income. For the last couple of years, I've, dish, I've had to dish out $395, which I think I can use myself towards what I need, not what, you know. $395 is how much she pays for health insurance, which she says hasn't helped her at all with her alternative medicine costs. What about calamities, I ask? That's part of the argument, right? If something goes wrong, who pays? Bert recognizes this argument, but from her perspective, she never uses the system, and so it hasn't helped her yet. I can understand why we need health care, in a sense, because of the fact there are a lot of people that go in that don't have type of insurance, so that's the hospitals and taxpayers, et cetera, et cetera, right, right. that land up having to pay the bill. Yeah, that's the you argument, know. yeah. But still, again, like I said, why should I have to pay for somebody else? Somebody else's hospital bills or whatever. You know, I don't get sick. I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed, you know, I don't, I haven't gone to doctor, I haven't got nothing like that. So why should I have to pay for somebody? Bert is part of the demographic of the American population that Obamacare was intended to support. Yet instead of being helpful, Bert experiences the new healthcare policy as a financial burden, making her regret the time American lawmakers have spent on healthcare policy. Think that... I honestly think they should have just never touched healthcare at all. Yeah. I really don't. The insurance companies are making money, etc., etc. It just—I think they should have just left it alone. I honestly do. But Bird is annoyed with Obama for another reason. 
what she sees is his lenient approach to taking on new citizens, like refugees and illegal immigrants. She witnesses existing citizens struggle every day. Why are we inviting new folks in when we can't even take care of the ones we have? You know, he's brought in all these other people and so forth like this. Yeah. We need to take care of our kids, you know, our, our, our young kids that are going to bed hungry because mom and dad can't, you know, live paycheck to paycheck. Food stamps aren't really there. You know, things like this. Let's take care of our vets. Like I say, everybody there has their own mind. If they want to be homeless, that's fine. You know, that's their choice that they want to make. There is help out there for them, but that's a, their choice. But let's take care of our issues here in America. These, let's take care of our 50 states first. Yeah. Get things back on track. Everything, how, what, whatever needs to be taken care of. And then let's worry about the other countries. You know, I mean, it's sad that these other countries are going through what they're going through, but let's take care of America first, and then we can go from there. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. If Bird had a campaign slogan, it would be, let's take care of America first. This is the refrain of our conversation. For example, one group she thinks we should take care of first, before looking outwards, are American veterans. Like I say, our vets. No, no, I don't, but I've seen. Yeah. You know, I've read and I've seen and I know a few that are, you know, family members are, that are going through the suffering because, you know, they're fighting to try to get benefits and they're trying to get, you know, uh, some type of medical help and so forth. So I, I, I have friends that have either family members or they have friends of their own that are fighting to try and get some kind of help from them. You know, that's why I say it. A lot of times, that's why I think a lot of our vets are homeless is because they give up. You know, they get to a, a depression because yeah. you know they're they're doing everything right and they're still getting kicked. You know, so the, those, like I say, our vets, the homeless, <clears throat> feeding our, taking care of our country. You know, let's get our country back on on, on track. You know what I mean? As far as economics and health and you know, just that every a lot of little things. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take a long time. But I, that's what I believe. And then if you want to go and help other countries or whatever, you know, that's fine, you know. But let's take care of us first. And that's my biggest issue, no matter where. Let's yeah. take care of the exactly. United States first. Local. And then go for, yeah. you know. It's not that Bert thinks we should close our borders forever. Just that we have some work to do for our citizens before addressing the needs beyond our borders. I asked Bert if there was a time when we were in a good enough spot to help other countries. And it turns out she thinks Bill Clinton did a pretty good job. I say Bill yeah. Clinton was a good president. I got to give him credit there. He, I believe he did a lot. You know, maybe he'll be able to help out Hillary. I have no idea. You know, nobody knows. So just you know, everybody makes mistakes. He made his mistakes, but I believe he did good for our mm -hmm. for our country. Yeah. And then focused on on the world around us. You know, but now it's just gotten to the point where just you know, you from China and need help. Come on over. We'll take care of you. You know, people from Mexico come in, sure, they got health insurance, they have all this. No, that's why I say I, I, I get frustrated because I have to dish out X amount of money every year for health insurance for other people. How come all of a sudden? As Bert is giving me examples of how we need to get our country back on track, she's not talking about a very lofty American dream. All of her examples are of people that just need food, shelter, and medical attention. Necessities that have to be fulfilled before someone can even start thinking about getting their dream job. This made me think back to something Bert said about her kids. She's a receptionist for a chiropractor. Okay. Uh -huh. um, I said he works at the, the uh, gas refinery. Mm 
my sex at UPS guy. Okay. Yeah. Did they go to school for anything that related to those jobs? Well, they uh, they all went for socials to become social workers. Oh, really? But <clears throat> but it got to the point where you needed uh, either. Well, he got his associates, and then they some of the places that he applied for, they need he needed his bachelor's. And then a couple of other places is just that they wanted the master. So it's the MBA as well. Some of these places want and. All three of Bert's children got their associate's degrees in social work, but today, none of them are social workers. One's a receptionist, one's a UPS driver, and one works in the oil fields. As college students, they had the desire to help others by channeling their experience growing up, yet none of them were able to accomplish this goal. And uh, this one place that he worked at, he really liked it because he was working with troubled teens. Mm -hmm. You know, like he says, coming from a single-parent home, he knows what it's like, you know, and so forth like this. But then that's when they turn around and says, well, we more than likely love to keep you, but you need to get your bachelor's. And like he says, why do I need to get a bachelor's, you know? And just, so he just kind of, they all three kind of just went different directions because they said it was so hard, that, you know, anymore. Just like my, my son said, well, it's on hands experience more than it is being in, in a college. Yeah. Uh, room, you know, the experience, what they've experienced, you know, for the sure. hardships, like, I, you know, like my son said, you know, coming home, from, coming from a single family home, because uh, there was times I was working two to three jobs, I wasn't yeah. home a lot because I had to take care of my children, so he kind of knew all that, you know what I'm saying, so, on hands experience is what he, you know, he used to say, is because I, I've been through it, I know what it's like, but, you know, nowadays you need college educations for a lot of things, and I think it's, so, like I said, they all decided to take different aspects, you know. So, Bert worked hard to provide for her children, and then her kids played by the rules, made it to college, and still, they came up short. A reality of the American job market prevented Bert's children from fulfilling an altruistic twist on the American dream. And this made me sad. Although Bert's version of our country being on track has mostly to do with fulfilling basic needs... Her own story gives me a sense of a country that has broken a promise to its citizens. Bert's Let's Get Our Country Back on Track line sounds pretty Trumpian to me, as do many of the policy points she brings up. I mean, anti-Obamacare, a new approach to the economy, and tough on immigration. However, despite feeling very strongly about a lot of political issues, two weeks before the election, she's devoutly undecided. No, I'm just... Up yeah. in the air about things, you know. I'm saying it's something that I really have to sit and really think about and go from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. To really think of the really good, the pros and the cons on both sides. Right. You know. And her undecided stance lies in her absolute disgust for the state of politics. Anymore, I think people just want to become president just to become president. Yeah. You know, or whatever position. It's not to do anything. It's just to have that title. Pretty good thing to put on your tombstone. Exactly. <laughs> the way I look at it, nobody cares about the issues. I'm interested in Bert's perspective as a woman on a video that just came out, one that sparked a flurry of sexual harassment accusations against Trump. I asked Bert about the video and if it would cause her to not vote for Trump. She waves off my question. She isn't concerned with candidate bashing. She just wants to talk about the issues. I'll be honest, I don't pay any attention to any of that stuff. Yeah. If they're going to talk about issues, then maybe. But yeah. anymore, as I can say, it's just nothing but uh, I tried, like I say, I've tried listening to some of the politics is nothing but bashing each other. Nobody's willing to talk about the 
the facts of what's going on in our world. So yeah, you know, everybody wants to bash everybody. You know, yeah, Biden did this and Trump did that. And <laughs> let's talk about what our country needs. You know, let's not worry about what old Hillary was doing last night. You know, she used too many pieces of toilet paper. At this moment, this response resonates with me and also makes me feel a little bad because I'm completely someone who gets wrapped up into the whole show. Here's a woman saying, I don't give a crap about your BS video or your BS emails. I just want to hear what you're going to do to make my everyday life better. Yes, Bert had opinions on Benghazi and Bill's infidelities, but these topics were entirely secondary to essential political policies like Obamacare and the economy. Policies that influence how much money she takes home at the end of the day and how difficult it is to survive. I think so. Yeah. You know, we had our rough roads. There were times we had rough roads, but we survived. And that's what counts as survival. Remember at the beginning when I asked you to think about what issues are important to you? I asked you to do that because I noticed that the types of issues that are important to me and the types of information that's important to Bert are different. For the last couple elections, I voted on things like being a kind global citizen, for the very general idea of helping the less advantaged, or for the freedom to one day, maybe, have an abortion if I ever get a boyfriend and if I ever get pregnant. All of these policy points are abstract ideas, important abstract ideas, but abstract ideas nonetheless. In contrast, Bert talked to me about survival. She talked to me about primordial needs like food on the table and clothes on her children's back. Those are the kinds of needs you have to satisfy before you can spend time thinking about the future of our environment. Voting on an abstract idea is a political luxury and a way of thinking about the election that isn't first of mind for Bert. We're two different kinds of voters hearing every debate and every policy argument through different filters in our brain. I currently feel a bit like I'm at the end of Sixth Sense with the desire to rewind and rewatch for all the clues I missed. Except this is the election and I would never put myself through that. I have the desire to rewind because I think after this conversation with Bert, I'm now capable of hearing things I couldn't have heard before. Like when you learn a new word and then it shows up everywhere. The word was always there, you just didn't know what to listen for. Bert's given a face to the acronym LEAP and a first-hand perspective on the success of Obamacare, one that makes my ears perk up for the details of this healthcare policy. I imagine my ability to catch new information like gaining a new piece of hearing equipment. It's a different antenna sticking out of my head making me a more advanced receiver, one that's sensing more depth in the world, accepting more diverse signals, and very simply, literally catching wavelengths the old model wasn't equipped to hear. Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music. Thanks to our interviewees. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This is A Foreigner at Home.